Excited to be with you this morning, and uh, it's been a week. I don't mean it's just been a week. For some of you, it has been a week, but uh, literally, uh, for those of us that are AT&T users and we were singled out, we survived the apocalypse on Thursday, um, and so I'm ready. I've survived. I know what it's like to live in complete and total darkness. Um, I don't want to be left behind. Uh, for those of you that are on Verizon and think you're better than us, your moment's coming. So, um, so let's just get that out of the way this morning. I uh, woke up on Thursday and I was like, what is happening? My world's upside down. And also, if you texted me on Thursday, my phone did start working later. And if I didn't text you back, that should tell you where you are in the hierarchy. Um, just pretended that the outage was for all day. So, uh, so yeah, thanks, thanks for surviving with me, AT&T users. Um, you know, and then you get into this weekend and weekends are always fun. Yesterday was a Monday for me though. I don't know if you've ever had a Monday on a Saturday. Um, that's not fun and pretty standard whenever you're going to get up and preach and you know, you're going to do something. I don't know if you've ever tried to try to do something for God, but typically there's a little bit of resistance. And so yesterday I got up and I was, you know, very excited to just seize the day carpe diem, um, and got up and I had a tractor tire that I wanted to get fixed. And, my wife was like, let's just do it on the way to Camden. Camden's my, my eight-year-old, but she had a basketball and cheerleading. She said, we'll just go take it. No sense to get out because Kawita's on the other side of the world, I guess, where we live. And so I said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll take it. So I dropped them off at cheerleading because we're running late because we have three kids. I'm um, just going to drop them off. They go to cheerleading and, and I go to discount tire. So my wife gets out. I'm driving her van. Now, super cool. It's a Toyota, Toyota Sienna that's a hybrid. And I don't care what your view is on hybrid vehicles. I have a diesel truck, so I'm still somewhere out there. You're judging me, but stop. I use it actually. So, um, you know, my truck, it has straight, there's, there's nothing in it. It's straight pipe. So if you've ever been around a truck that is a diesel, you'll probably hear me as I leave church today. Um, but you get in her car and it's a hybrid. So super cool. You know, she's complaining cause she's only getting 32 miles to the gallon. And I'm like, I don't, you know, you're not even speaking English to me right now. Like what? I don't even, I can't even pass a gas station without pulling over and putting diesel in. Um, so I drive her car and, and I go to discount tire. I have the tractor tire in the back and I get out and they're like, no, sir, this is a commercial tire, too much PSI. The company will not let us fill this tire up. And I was like, okay, sorry to put your lives in danger. Um, what do I need to do? So I go out to the car, which once again is a hybrid, great gas mileage compared to mine. And I go to start it. Well, the problem is it goes into electric mode. I never even turned it off. But when I got there, I, I pushed the button and turned it off, which isn't problematic if my wife doesn't have the key. So immediately, right, I, I call myself all kinds of names that I can't repeat up here. I'm like, idiot, idiot, what am I doing? So I turn it off and I call my wife and I'm like, listen, I know you're in the middle of a, a whole cheerleading thing, but I'm stranded. Can you come and pick me up? And so she borrows somebody's car. She gets there. I go down the street to the tire shop, another one that they recommended. I walk in and the guy's like, we only have an hour left. I'm not sure I can patch it. There's an hour and a half before, you know, he's an hour and a half behind. I was like, okay, I get it. Sorry to put your life in danger too, but can we just check? And so he goes out in the shop and he puts it on the tire machine and a tractor tire, in case you didn't know, doesn't look like a car tire. Um, and so it doesn't really fit in the machine right. So he goes trying to get it on, can't get it, goes to the other machine. That machine's broken. The mechanic tells him, and he's like, oh, this is why I work behind the desk, right? So then he goes back over. He's working with it. He ends up getting the cool little tool that just goes, right, with the air in the tire and blows it back on the rim. Doesn't blow it back on the rim. And, you know, it's Saturday, and he's now 27 minutes away from his day being done. 
um, and his Saturday is not a Monday. So he finally puts a strap around it. He puts the strap on backwards twice, a ratchet strap, which some of you who've worked with ratchet straps, one is probably forgivable, two, you have to turn in your man card and you should step away. So he puts it on while I'm holding it, right? Like I'm trying to hold it in the middle of the tire. It's not that big. It's like this big. So I'm holding it in the middle of the tire and he puts it on the second time backwards. And I'm like, you work here, buddy. Like, can I have the smart end of the strap? Let me figure this out. And so, you know, I'm there and, and he finally gets it, gets it back on the rim. And as soon as he gets back on the rim, I'm like, man, I never doubted you. And he goes, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. And I was like, well... It's better to be surprised than disappointed, right? So um, anyway, we got the tire, put it back in the car. I go watch cheerleading. My daughter has, if you've never seen a third grade basketball game, it's exhausting emotionally. Um, I mean, literally, I'm still like, I'm still amped up, right? So they have a girl on their team who we need to check birth certificates for. She is Giannis, or if you know Shaq, I mean, she was just absolutely devastating us. And that didn't sit well. Um, with some of our moms, um, dads were like, I wish that was me. Like, that's cool. And moms were like, ah, she's going to kill everybody. Um, so I leave the game and I get home and I'm like, man, my weeds, they're looking bad. I better mow my weeds because our weather can't figure it out. Get on my zero term, put in my headphones. Listen, it's therapeutic. You put in your headphones and you're just you know, I have in-ears from when I play on the worship team. I can't hear anything else. Don't hear the roar of the mower. I just hear my podcast. And I'm like, and I'm settling in with Jesus, you know, listen to my worship stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to knock it out of the park tomorrow. Here we go. So get done with that. And I'm feeling so good that I decide to weed eat. Now, you know, you're feeling good if you decide to weed eat because Satan created weed eating, I'm sure. And, and, and here's the other thing. I, I haven't been smart enough to figure out that the more stuff that I put in my yard, that's more weed eating in my yard. So trampoline, great idea. I hate it, right? Like all these different things. Keep building fences. Fences are the worst. Um, So I'm weed eating and we have a Great Dane, two Australian shepherds. I can picture in your mind our Great Dane. It's not like a miniature Great Dane that's some boutique dog. It's a Great Dane and it's great. Um, Earned his title. So the Great Dane has left me a present, which I don't see because of my weeds. Um, And I have my weed eater and I'm really trying to get, you know, the right angle to make it look pretty. And it's vaporized, like it goes airborne and it hits me. Now I have shades on. Yeah. So it hits me. But here's what I feel like. I feel like Two-Face from Batman, like half of my face is gone. And I immediately, because my mouth was closed, because I don't ever smile, I had my mouth closed and I was like, mm, 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 mm. so I set the weed eater down. I'm so mad. I don't even turn it off. Right. I leave it running. Cause I'm like, and I go inside and my wife's sitting in the chair. And, and so I like, you know, push the back of the chair and she's thinking I'm messing with her because that's usually me. And I'm like, mm, mm, mm. so she turns around and honestly, I really thought half of my face was covered. Um, it was there whether or not she saw it, I wasn't making it up. But I was like, <laughs> so I went to take a shower, got out of the shower, and I thought, well, I'm not weed eating. Listen, I'm not stupid, right? I didn't want to do it anyway. God's telling me, son, don't weed eat. I was like, yes, Lord, I hear you. Clearly, I'm not weed eating. Um, I may round up everything now, even if it gives me issues. Hey, I get to see Jesus quicker, so I am <sighs> so over weed eating right now. So take a shower, I get outside, I get on the tractor and I'm like, oh, this is great, right? Tractor, I don't know, I'm still an overgrown man child driving the tractor, loaded up, 
get to like the far end of the driveway, the other tire goes flat. And I'm like, all right. So then I have to walk it all the way back to the house. I'm going to replace the valve stem. It busts on me. I'm like, okay, I'm just done. I walk inside. I'm like, babe, I'm done. Like, I'll just be in bed. Like, if you need me, come find me. Um, And so I walked in there and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to play video games because overgrown man child, right? So I start playing video games and my Wi-Fi is not working. Um, It was at that point that I had to either call Pastor Barry and ask him to pinch it um, or really just reorient myself and say, listen, it's not that bad. Like it's a whole Monday on Saturday. And I had that day going into it. And I just thought, you know, God, you're probably going to want to say something really important to people. Um, if my headspace is trying to get this jumbled up. So I, I truly believe today, as we close out this series, go and tell that God has something he wants to say to you. You know, I joked about an apocalyptic world, but as we look at the book of Peter, first Peter chapter four, we're going to venture there today. You don't have to pull out your Bibles. I know that doesn't sound spiritual, but we'll get into it. We'll even have it on the screen and you can pull it out. But let me just set the setting. Um, Peter's trying to talk and encourage Christians. He's trying to say, guys, look, you know, we're, we're facing a lot of different things in this world. And, and he really is in what would seem to be an apocalyptic setting. He's in a place where the Roman governor or the Roman emperor is crazy, crazy, He's dealing with all of the different aspects of what that looks like. He is, they're facing persecution. And we're not talking about like, hey, you get 30 days of community service with good behavior, we'll knock that down to six and a $400 fine. Um, It's death, dismemberment. I mean, just, I mean, they're facing real stuff. And And I don't want to minimize what we are facing right now with our culture to any degree, but listen, it's not the same context. It's not the same. Um, to what they were dealing with. Uh, just because somebody attacked you on Facebook because you said, Jesus is my one and only, that doesn't mean like the same thing that they were going through. And so Peter's trying to tell them. And so I want to read just the first part of this. And if he's facing this scene, he says, First Peter verses four, verse seven, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, therefore is one of those statements, right? You expect there's something, there's something coming, right? Um, that's going to be happening. And, and so you kind of sit back and you're going, all right, Peter, what are you going to say now to these people who are facing persecution? You know, Peter has preached to crowds. He's done all kinds of crazy things. And now he's, he's going to reaffirm as he gets older, what that looks like. And, and, and as he's talking to them, you know, he wants to tell them therefore, and some of us would think, all right, now he's about to tell us, right. We're go get your school bus, go put it underground at least six feet. Make sure that you have a non-carbureted, like a non-computer engine. Make sure it's carbureted so EMP won't take it out. Um, some of you guys are probably trying to grab ham radios and walkie-talkies in case, you know, the cell phone service goes down. Um, store up at least a year's worth of dry goods and some filtered water. Like, we need to make sure we have a filtration system. You would think that he would say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to batten down the hatches. Like, we're self-protect mode. I love you guys. I want what's best for you. I need you to just close the doors. And, and, and here's, I need you to be very careful who you talk to. There's Roman spies everywhere. They're trying to, to trap us. They're trying to figure out where this stuff is at. And you just expect Peter to be like, all right, guys, let's be smart, right? Let's not take any unnecessary chances because this is a therefore moment. But instead of that, this is what he says. He says, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. He doesn't say, hey, take care of yourself. Watch out. He says, I want you to love and live even more extravagantly and specifically 
to those who you come into contact with. He says, I want you to show deep love for them. And so you start thinking about that. And, and, and here's what Peter had come to understand. And, and this is what I want you to take home today is that saved people serve people. We don't shut down. We don't turn off. We don't turn away. We don't, we, we embrace people because that's what Jesus did. So the model is never when there's conflict or things that are happening to shut down, be angry, turn into this weird, crazy mob because somebody said something. It is to first and foremost show love. Now, if you've never seen a furious mob, I invite you next Saturday, 9 a.m. If we have the same referees, you will see a group of women (laughs) who are very upset about the way that the referees Um, called the game. So I think we have a home game. Oh, actually, no, it's up at Will Rogers. So please, if you want to come, great entertainment, um, unless you're emotionally invested like me. And I choose not to say a whole lot out loud anymore because I coached my daughter in third grade. So I just, I know better. Um, The games can swing very, very quickly and, uh, but very fun to watch. When Peter is talking through some of those things, though, he's not facing people who are just upset. He's facing bloodlust people who want to take their lives. And he said, you know what? Because of what Jesus did, like our call is to love and serve people. For them, it was a priority. Peter emphasized that above all else. It should be central to how we relate to one another. It's not superficial or conditional, but deep and genuine. He says that it covers over. Now, some of you are like, theologically, listen, here's what love does. Love has the opportunity and gives you the opportunity to overlook and forgive some of the faults and wrongdoings of others because you see them as humanity. Far too often in our lives, we hold people to a standard inside our head that God never intended them to live up to. And what I've learned in ministry is that the more that I put in people, the more, you know, that I faith that I put in people, and that's not not loving them, but the more that I put in them, the more opportunities that I have to not see them how God sees them. Because I start saying they should, right? I'm having a hard enough time, right, with what God is asking me to do. And then I start looking at them and it's like, well, they should know better. Right. And then I drive in traffic and I'm like, well, I should never drive again. Um, if I have my wife's hybrid, it really limits the ability I get to drive sometimes. And we start doing this conditional thing where we look at others and we say, well, they should be further down. And we don't ever take a chance to, to really see them how God sees them with love and, and to offer a little bit more mercy and grace. So Peter's bringing it back and he's saying, listen, guys, you have to see them. And have love as a priority. Because when you've been saved, you serve others so that they can feel the same way that you felt when Jesus walked into your life. When we genuinely love someone, we're more inclined to extend grace in everything that we do for them and forgiveness rather than dwelling on their shortcomings or holding grudges. It says a multitude of sin. Here's the thing. This recognizes that people are prone to mistakes and are imperfect. I don't know, this is something I really struggle with. If someone lies to me, like the first time, I'm like, ah. The second time, I'm mad at myself. 
right? And the third time I'm like, depart from me. I never knew you, right? I don't, like, it's hard for me. And a lot of that is how I was raised. My mom was like, you know, I don't care what you do. Don't lie. And so I go back to that, but I'm like, I have a problem sometimes being able to look past what people have told me and what they've done to me if it's a pattern. And Peter's saying this, he's saying, listen, if you see people how Jesus sees people and you think of what he's done, then then you have to start viewing the world differently. So he's saying, when you approach people, approach them with love so that you can mitigate or alleviate the impact of what that means. Love fosters reconciliation, healing, and restoration in relationships. And I said it to the first service this morning. Listen, you can be right and still lose. You can lose a relationship because you were so intent on being right, and you see something that was a mistake as a pattern that that you're not worried about reconciliation now. You're not worried about restoration but, but you have to be right. And, and the problem with that is that at the end of the day, you lose because of the value that they add. And, and you don't know. And, and Peter's like, hey, guys, listen. Hey, hello, listen to me. Here's what I'm telling you. When you go into it with the mindset, right, that Jesus first loved us, then, then it changes your perspective when you see people not as problems, but as opportunities. And Here's the thing, humanity is broken. The only thing that fixed it, right? And restored relationship and reconciliation was what Jesus did. And so he's trying to bring it back and say, listen, here's what I need you guys to do. I need you, if you really want this to spread, we're not gonna act like other people. We're not gonna lose our minds over those things. We're not gonna shut in. We're not gonna shut down. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna love and live as extravagantly as we can. And it bothers me, it bothers me, and I'm going to lump you in here, that we sometimes as a church are trying to be so unlike the things of this world that we forget who we're supposed to look like and point out everything that's wrong with a certain individual. We can, we can point these things out, and here's where there's conflict, or here's where they're walking in this. And, and it's so easy to point it out when you're, when you're sitting back and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not what God called us to do. So the, the weight on us is for us to go and tell so that they can come and see, right? So, so we're not rehabilitation specialists, right? You're not like wives, look over at your husband or girlfriends and say, listen, you're lucky I took a chance on you. No, no, no. Some of you are moving. I was totally kidding. But that's how we feel when it comes to other people right? How dare you? I took a chance on you and all you did was disappoint me. You never had to bear the weight of responsibility for his rehabilitation. You lead him to Jesus, who is the ultimate reconciler, the ultimate restorer. He fixes what's broken. You just get to be part of the process. The weight is never on us. And so we take it personally when people are broken because we know they're broken and they don't get fixed the way that we want them to get fixed or the time frame we want them to get fixed. But, but here's the thing, they're in process and we celebrate progress because you're not perfect either. Husbands, look at you. No, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna go there. 
I know, I know, I know, I'm stirring up trouble today. But you fight so hard to be something or not like something that you never become who you were created to be. You're wasting so much energy when Peter's like, love and live extravagantly. And listen, the church couldn't write back and be like, well, you don't know what's gonna happen to us if we're honest. Peter's like, bro, we're like in this together. You realize that, right? Like we're all a part of this faith community. Like we're in this together. I'm not telling you this and being like, all right, well, good luck guys. I'll see you next Sunday. Like we're in this together and God has entrusted to us the ministry, the work of the ministry. And Mark 10, 45, he said this, he said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was on mission to serve and that they would see how he served and how he loved. And as they modeled that, it would start bringing people to them because how can you argue with love? Like you're sitting in a prison cell and you're like, hey, what happened? Well, I prayed for a lady, she got healed. Nah, Jews didn't really like it. Like, what is what does a soldier say? Yeah, well, you shouldn't have prayed for that lady who need to be healed or how dare you, like, how dare you take care of the widows and orphans? Let's go up on the cross. Like, it does not make sense, right? When's the last time you did something good for somebody and they said, why are you doing this? Because there's your gateway. Save people, serve others, and love others. When's the last time that you did something, lived, loved extravagantly to a point where people were like, well, why are you even doing this? And you had, let me tell you, because see, Jesus, I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. How do you argue with that? You can jump into semantics. You can do all that. I know we're in Tulsa, so I know there's a lot of ways to argue with that. But at the end of the day, you know what you will do to that person? You will so vex them. They will walk away not being able to forget what you did and why you said you did it because your motives are pure. Not wanting anything in return. You step into a space where most people wouldn't. I'm telling you, when you love and serve others the way that Jesus is talking about it without any ROIs or intrinsic value that's related back to you, when you do what you're supposed to do just because you're supposed to do it and not because you have to and because I've told you and you feel guilty because uh, like it changes dynamics. we get to be a part of what God is doing and the opportunities that are there. Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And another thing that we get into is we start drawing these lines, right? We're like, this is where the church and that's of the devil and devil, you stay over there and we'll stay over here. The whole earth is the Lord's. Satan doesn't get a say. He doesn't get to sit back and hold dominions and powers because we have a God who breaks those down. He doesn't get to hold people in addiction. He can set people free. He doesn't get to hold people. Here's the thing. We have the greatest hope in the world of eternal life that no matter what happens to us, take whatever you do to me, right? You can't finish me because he has the last word. So we have the ultimate finisher, Right, so Peter's talking from that and and the context is so much more vivid that they know as they step out, if they say anything to anybody, it can mean a death sentence to them. And he's like, go do it. And they're like, what? He's like, go do it. And they're like, what? Because they know what's gonna happen. And for them, the cost is worth the risk. And here we sit inside our car, we get an invite card and we're like, oh God, probably not her, probably not them. And we're vexed. 
oh, okay, let me hear you clearly next time. Because we get comfortable and we forget what he did and we forget the example. So, so we sit back and, and here's the thing, we have the answer to life's problems. We don't fix them. Jesus does all of that. But what we do is we provide hope in the middle of any circumstance. I don't care what you walked into this room with this morning. I don't care how long it's been bugging you. Jesus is the answer to life's problems. And outside of that, nothing else works. It just doesn't. I don't care how much money you acquire, how many friends. It doesn't matter to me what size your company is. If you don't know Jesus, none of that matters. It's irrelevant. It's a moot point. And so that's what they understood. The early church is like, okay, all right, Peter. All right, yeah, starting to get it. And and here's the thing. Like we make judgments on people sometimes. And I say we, because I know you do too. And I'm not gonna stand alone up here. I mean, I will stand alone up here until I get the worship team to to back me. But here's, here's the thing. We make judgments on what we think people can be to define how much we're gonna invest in a person. It's not worth it. Some of you got some family members that you've seen a lifelong cycling pattern. Listen, it's still worth it. Still worth it to love. I'm not telling you to be dumb, but it is still worth it to love them and continue to point them to the truth. I'm an almost 40 year old up here that during my teenage years, my parents put $50 inside the front of my Bible to see if I ever opened it. And for three years, I didn't. Now, some of you are like, $50, that's no big deal. Listen, in 2001, that was 46 items off the dollar menu, (laughs) which was enough to start childhood obesity, if not fully finish someone off. And it sat there for three years because I wanted nothing to do with church. If you would have caught a snapshot of who I was and seen a season of my life, you would have thought, Yeah, it's irreconcilable because I knew the truth and I wanted nothing to do with it. It wasn't like, oh, maybe I've heard, like I made decisions to stay away from that. But but my value wasn't determined by a season of my life. And you got some people that you've wrote off for a lifetime that were just in a difficult season. You got people that you see that you pass as a coworker that like maybe they're in a season and maybe you're the person that God is sending to them. You've just been too hard-headed to listen. Save people, serve others. When God walked into your life, it made a difference. And here's the thing, why would you not want that for someone else? And that's what Peter understood. He's like, listen, it doesn't matter. Like, this is gonna pass away. Eventually all will be reconciled. Our job is to do what he's asked us to do until we see him again. There's a video that I watched on I had probably a reel somewhere and this mom, she's talking to her three-year-old and she goes, are you going to be part of the problem? Or are you going to be part of the solution? She said, I'm the whole problem. <laughs> Those of us who parent were like, at least she's honest, right? She don't lie. And it's easy for us in those moments when we're sitting back where we are to say, I'm the whole problem. And, and here's what I've said, God, if I'm not talking to others, I'm the problem. I don't get to push that off on not being trained. I don't get to push that off on on something else or not having the tools or resources. If I don't tell people what you've done in my life and how good you are, I'm the whole problem. 
You can't say, well, somebody once said no to me. I mean, you can say that, but that's a pretty weak excuse in light of eternity. To say, oh, well, I tried, and uh, so I think I'm not going to try. Pretty weak excuse in light of eternity. And you're defining what their value is to you when their value to God is not on the same scale. Peter goes on, and he says this, verse 10, he says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't speak and I don't help, so I'm not on that list. Joke's on you. He's saying, use whatever you have by all means possible to let others see him in you. Because there's this entrustment that happens, right? You're entrusted with something. When we're saved, we become entrusted with the truth that's found in Jesus and what that means and the reality that things are different. There's, there's more to life than just this. We're entrusted, right, with, with that news, the good news. It's not just any news. It's the good news. He's entrusted that with us, and now we have to get it out. And, and here, sometimes what happens is we have in our head what we think God wants to do with us. And when that doesn't happen, we're like, well, just didn't work out the way that I wanted to. But, but the truth is not everything good you want to do is God's will for your life. That's a hard pill for us to swallow. Right? Not everything. Well, I had these, I thought I was going to be a televangelist or an evangelist, or I thought I was going to have this company that was able to fund 65 water wells. Maybe you have it, maybe you don't. But, but here's the thing. The disappointment can't lead to your decision to shut down. Just because you're not being used, your life isn't what you thought it should be or what you wanted it to be. It doesn't mean that you're like, well, maybe next time. Saved people serve others. What are you going to do with what you have? So you're not a great public speaker. Okay. You don't have to be. The church was spreading mouth to mouth while those guys were telling the good news to one another and saying, come and see. They didn't say, wait and see what happens. Some of us are in the wait and see mentality. Well, we'll just see how it all pans out. Come on. That's not what Peter is saying. There's a lot of people in this room that are missing their current assignment of what God has with you because you become angry with God that you didn't get your way with what your life has turned out to be. Just because that's how it is, that's how it's panning out, it doesn't mean that you sit back. I said earlier, third grade basketball is an emotional roller coaster, and I'm serious, it is, especially if you have a kid on the court. You go screaming, yelling, crying, like that can all happen within 30 seconds. Because you're like, oh, that's my kid. That's. And I sat back at that game and, you know, when I was coaching, I had my group of third grade girls, which a lot of them are in here. I was like, man, I've got six D1 athletes. Like if they could see it, we're about, like I saw so much potential. I'm like, these girls are about to like, we're about to dominate and run through every conference that's ever been created. Like they're going to get signing bonuses and they're going to pull me up and let me sit down and like sign the contract. 
And I was like, had a little dose of reality when they started getting into middle school. You know, we turned them over um, to coaches who really know what they're talking about, unlike me. And I remember talking to my daughter and I said, I said, Riley, here's, here's what you need to see. I said, whether or not you ever go and play or any of those things, you can determine where a player is by where they sit on the bench when they're not in the game. I said, even if you're not playing, like even if you get up and you're not talented enough to make the starting squad or even whatever that is, don't let me see you on the end of the bench because that's where the critical people sit. Don't really care to hear what coach has to say. Sometimes not really dialed into the game. Like you'll find people down there probably disgruntled or they think they should have more playing time or whatever that is. And they'll try and sit as far away from the source of what can get them in the game. Oblivious and can't figure out, I don't know why coach doesn't put me in. Well, you're sitting as far as you can away looking at the popcorn and can't wait till it's over. I said, Riley, if, if you want to get in the game, you need to sit as close as you can to coach and you need to listen to what coach says. Whether you get in or not, that's not up to you. But I can tell you this, if you're sitting down there, your chances get a lot better. It matters who you're listening to. It matters what you're doing. Some of you have been close, but you're not dialed into what God's saying to you. When it really comes time to put that faith into action, you're like, meh, let's read the next Bible verse. Instead of looking for opportunities to see people like he did, you're looking for opportunities to not have to do what he's asked you to do. We make excuses that we're too busy or next time or whatever that is. And this morning, I just come to remind you, that's not the way God works. He's entrusted you. Other thing I loved about coaching, and I think there's so many great life lessons there, is when I had someone who understood their role. For those of you who coach, you know what I'm talking about. Had a little girl who maybe she couldn't shoot, but she played great defense. She would come over and she'd be like, I just can't make a basket. And I'm like, you don't have to. I need you on defense. Let me alleviate the pressure from you. I never expect you to shoot the ball. In fact, if you do, I'll be yelling air ball also. Like, know your role, sweetheart. Another girl's like, oh man, I just, you know, she's like, I can't play. And I'm like, you're the only person that can dribble. Hear me when I say this. I love you. I believe in you. Please just dribble the ball and pass it. And they start understanding, right? There's some of us that, that we wanna be the point guard so bad that we're doing whatever we can at all costs to be the point guard. And God's like, never meant to do that. Here's your role because we all have our roles, right? I don't, I don't need you to be me. I don't wanna be you. I wanna settle into what God has called me to do. Know my role. Maybe some of you this morning, it's just a reminder that you need to sit down with you sit down with God and you go, what's my role? Because he's called you to this place this morning, whether you're new, whether it's your first time, whether it's your 500th time, whether you were born in the lobby, I don't care. You have a role to play in what this church does. 
God has something to say about your life and what he expects you to be involved in. You, you can't just come in and sit on a Sunday and go, we're good. I'll see you when I'm in Bible engagement too. We're good. Like, how are you actively engaged with what God is doing? How are you serving the world? How are you serving your local communities? What are you doing to make a difference with the life that you've been given? Because let me tell you, it all goes away real quick. If I live to be a hundred, I'll say, I wish I had 10 more years, right? It, it, you don't know. But what you do know is you have today. And, and I think the biggest thing we get into is a sense of urgency. We don't have a sense of urgency anymore. Let me play this out for you. You're on the beach, your family's there, fall asleep, you wake up, you hear a kid yelling, help. In that moment, you look, you don't see your kid there, but that wouldn't really matter, right? You hear somebody yelling help and it's, it's a kid, whether you can swim, whether you're scared of jellyfish or you don't like water over knee deep or you watched Jaws last night and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, sucker. Like in those moments when there's a sense of urgency, you go do whatever you can do. See, some of us, we're, we're just sitting back on the beach enjoying the comfortable life when people all around us are going, help, help. Behaviors and actions sometimes are cries for help. Nobody was intended to behave badly. Can I share a secret with you? Like, this is big. Nobody was intended to behave badly. And some people are gonna behave badly until they really believe in God works in their life, but they're just saying help. If you can see past some of the ulterior things that, God, let me see them like you see them. Let me serve like you serve, because in that moment, it wouldn't matter if you could swim or not. I mean, I'm, I'm punching a great white in the nose if it's my kids. Like, what would you not do? I'd scrape myself with blood and try to swim away, like redirect it. Because there's a sense of urgency. There's a life that needs to be saved. And, and here's the thing, the coworker you don't like, if they don't know Jesus, better get urgent. Because your job assignment may change, but they're still gonna need to know Jesus long after you're gone. We have to have a sense of urgency that wakes us up. No greater time than as we talk of getting into some of this and this leading up to Easter. Man, the invite cards we had, some of you got them at the door. I want you to just take a moment and, and grab that card if you have it. We're not gonna have ushers come down like it's communion. If you don't have it, it's okay. You can get them on your way out. But I want you to grab that card and I want you to see that card as somebody's face or a name. I want you to see the card as an opportunity, an invite into a relationship with Jesus and not just another thing that we've tried to creatively do, but that is an opportunity for people to come into an environment where they can start to see Jesus more clearly. And you don't have to wait. They can accept Jesus in a gas parking lot. They can, what it, I'm not saying, but here's what I'm saying. You have tools available to you in your toolbox from what we gave you this morning for you to help people who may be far from God come a little closer. And I want you to think about that. And here's, here's what I've, I've learned when it comes to save people, serve people. That opportunity, there's two ways that we usually respond in, in, in times. One, in service to others is spontaneous, right? You get home, your neighbor's outside, he's kicking his lawnmower. Um, I'll help him with lawn mowing, not weed eating. So um, you see it and you're like, hey, let me help. Or he's like, man, I'm just out of gas. And you're like, I got gas, here you go. Like something little that starts a conversation, maybe that's spontaneous and act of service here. Let me help you know a little bit about it. Maybe maybe you're at work and 
you do something to help. Maybe you're in a, a gas station and you see somebody or you're in a grocery store and you just do a spontaneous, man, God really laid it on my heart. Just let me do this, right? Or there's planned. Now that little card in front of you, it can be spontaneous. You can have it, put it in your pocket, take it with you somewhere and be like, I'm just gonna wait for the first opportunity. You know, like not ninja star it, but like, hey, love to see you at church. Or two, you plan it out. Right now, God's speaking to you somebody's name. I believe that's happening all across because that's who God is. God is speaking to you through his Holy Spirit that there is somebody that you know that needs Jesus. And it's a step for you to step out in faith, to see God work because you're just confirming what God's already been speaking to them. And you're gonna use it as an opportunity. It's like, all right, God, here we go. Here's the opportunity for today. There's some of you who are people, people that will grab a stack and be like, I can't wait. This is gonna be the greatest week. There's some of you like me, they're like, mm. but we don't get to opt out. You're a part of this faith community. Let's live and love extravagantly. Let's see this place filled to capacity for Easter. Let's see people get anchored into what God is doing. Let's see people get grounded in the things that God is doing and let's watch him reconcile, restore, rehabilitate. Let's, let's sit back and go, never doubted you because that's who he is. And this morning during these next few moments, I've asked the worship team, if you'll stand to your feet, Maybe the person beside you know them, maybe you don't, but maybe you just reach over and say, hey, what, what? somebody God's speaking to you? And you take a moment during this song to, to just say, God, settle in on my heart. God, challenge me to be who you've created me to be. God, speak someone to me. God, God, give me the strength and courage to be who you've called me to be. Just during these next few moments as they sing, talk to the person beside you if you know them, ask them, and let's worship God because of what he's going to do as a result of us stepping out in faith.